0: Chin live in london's kensington olympia for episode 65 of blockchain insider the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions today we bring you market manipulation a16z invests in MakerDAO, and an exclusive interview with dan and brendan from block one and eos all this and more on today's show all right, so we're here, and I've got Colin G. Platt. You're back again. How are you, Colin G. Platt?
1: I'm doing all right.
0: I don't know why they keep letting me into the UK, but it works. I guess you just smell of fields. They take sympathy on you, something like that. Either that or they didn't get your note. Uh, yeah, don't avoid Colin. But fortunately, bringing, bringing things up, we got Tina Baker-Taylor, CMO at CoinFlow. How are you, Tina?
2: I'm great, Simon. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being back on the show and bringing up the level of standard of discourse.
2: Well, if we... Needed that little extra. We, we, there, we right? needed that. We, yeah. apology, we need that a lot. <laughs> Just a little.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's get uh, into the first story. This one comes from CoinDesk, um, and the New York AG has reported faults in crypto exchanges for their manipulation risk. So this is the Attorney General. Um, they launched an inquiry in April, seeking voluntary participation. Which the audience can see. I just did air quotes for, but uh, voluntary participation from 13 of the world's most notable trading sites, including Coinbase, Kraken, Bitfinex, Bittrex, and Binance. Um, they released a report and said they have issued with a number of practices put in place, including methods for monitoring and preventing market manipulation. They also took specific aim at Kraken, who declined to participate, and uh, Kraken actually blasted the effort in a fiery statement back in April. So uh, interesting times. Uh, Tina, what's going on here? Is this uh, the Attorney General's going to sue all of the things?
2: Well, I personally think the Attorney General um, took a little bit of a liberty here.
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I do. Ooh. I think. Is the New York th- Attorney General going to come after you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Probably. Uh, I think if you request requesting information... Perhaps maybe a little more than two weeks might have been uh, recommended. Um, the level of information that they were requesting had a lot of depth for somebody to compile for in a two-week period Oh, right. So I wasn't
0: aware of that. Yeah, the yeah. New York AG had said, y- you've got two weeks to get this ba- information.
2: Basically, yeah.
0: Uh, so the interesting thing is banks are really good at taking a year to get you information, exactly. sometimes two years. Yeah. So why has this been so public that the uh, AG has blasted these exchanges?
2: Well, so in Kraken's case specifically, if you read the report, what I think is interesting is every time they come up with a summary of what they think on that particular issue, whether it's regulation, market manipulation, there's a number of sections. Um, There's this little blue box that says, and unfortunately, because Kraken didn't provide this information, we can only assume that they're a high risk. So if I'm Kraken, I think that's just... Yeah. Naughty! I just, I felt like they took liberties here. And I actually think that the blast back from Kraken was pretty measured. Mm. Um, I didn't think it was, I think they could have, uh, they could have blasted stronger. They could have been harsher. Yeah.
0: It, It is interesting. I'm going to set you this impossible task. And because you didn't meet the impossible task, you suck
2: basically. And, you know, there are people that responded like Coinbase. um, And then they found fault with them that they were prop trading on their own exchange, at which point they went back and said "Uh, no, and had to further explain that. But that was after they issued the report. So if they thought that that was an issue, why not call Coinbase on the phone and ask them to clarify before you produce a report?
0: So Colin, is this amateur hour at the New York AG? I, I don't know. Like uh, it's,
1: it's funny that we say it's voluntary because it's like paying taxes are voluntary, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, not going to jail is a choice. Um, yeah. So I guess what Kraken tried to say was, look, we don't operate in New York because New York just deals with New York, and, and that's great, but uh, everybody indirectly deals with New York if they touch a dollar,
0: I guess. So, so isn't it interesting then that we have the Office of the Attorney General essentially giving this limited period of time to respond. One might speculate that they were looking to set up for a fall here when there's um, stuff going on with ETFs and the concern is around market manipulation. Um, yeah. Have they have they driven towards a false positive or have they, have they found something genuine here, Colin? Do they have genuine concerns? Look,
1: you and I have been paying attention to the space for long enough to realize that there's a lot of fuckery going on. <laughs> like, for them to single out Kraken for not responding. And I, I've, I've got Jesse's tweet. I, you guys can tell me how measured it is. He wrote, NY, New York, is that abusive controlling ex you broke up with three love years it. ago. But keep stalking you, throwing shade, your new relationships, unable to accept that you have happily moved on and are better off without them. Yeah. Hashtag Boom. get over it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't tweet the New York AG that way. I don't love way. You anymore. Um, I, I don't know if I was managing a lot of clients' money. Some of them, I think, rightfully so. in New York has said, look your controls aren't up to par and people we know people that have opened accounts on purpose in the state of New York to prove that they're not doing it
0: so I think this is interesting it feels to me like a curse on both of your houses right Um, there's no need to be childish as an exchange but also two weeks is bush leak like that's that's bullshit like yeah no like Name uh, when banks get regulated or banks get requested for information, they have to have all of their controls available in two weeks for something new that comes up. The stuff they asked
1: was pretty basic. I mean, you can read through it. It's like, do you have a policy against self-dealing? Yes or no? And if you come back and say no, then they'll ask more questions. But like, I've been on the receiving end at a bank, and -hmm. two weeks is generous. Like, We've had to get stuff around to way worse than the New York AG in 24, 48 hours. Mm -hmm when they give it to you on a
0: Friday. But if you have it to hand, that's doable. If you don't, then you need to have a discourse that doesn't you go public. The bank. Nobody's got anything but, to But hand. the interesting <laughs> thing is how this discourse went public. The, the New York AG were the first to go public with yes. this. And but, that wouldn't happen with banks.
2: I, th- I think that the, the higher road could have been taken. So if, if you want to um, be in a righteous position... Then you state at the beginning of the report that these exchanges did not contribute, and so therefore none of the findings will have any information about Kraken Finance and whoever it was. OKX, maybe I can't remember.
0: And then you get and guilt. then leave it at that. Yeah, and you get guilt by disassociation because if one thing, if the concern around ETFs is that uh, there is limited controls in place across the market, whilst there are some exchanges that have demonstrated controls there are others that haven't so there's a concern about market manipulation and other risks in the market then by saying well some responded and here's the ongoing dialogue but others didn't and this is part of our concern then you would probably make a point that's that's pretty fair but actually the point of like everybody responded we found problems with everybody and they had two weeks It, it does feel rushed
1: But you enter into dialogue. When they say you've got two weeks, you go, all right, here's what I can give you now. And here's what I can give you in a week or two time because of whatever. And you're dealing on good faith there. And I think I I, Mm -hmm. I would slightly disagree on the the comment about Binance and Kraken. I mean, they specifically came out and said, we do not do business with New Yorkers or in New York. And they said, well, okay, we looked at that and scratched below the surface. And yeah, you do. And we're recommending that we take you to court.
0: And I think that's that's a fair comment. But listen, i got to move on. We could talk about this forever. The next story comes from, uh, well, it was actually a medium blog that was done by A16Z Crypto themselves. A16Z, the crypto fund, has purchased 6% of MKR, backing the stablecoin MakerDAO. Um, and they've uh, apparently uh, taken 6% of that supply for 15 million US dollars. Um, that gives A16Z a stake in the first quote-unquote Functional decentralized stablecoin, whatever that means. And their purchase is one of the first from A16C, that new created fund they did specially. As part of the partnership, MakerDAO will receive ongoing operating capital through its growth stage. So, this is a good way to get cash to grow the business. We talked to Garrick Hillman earlier about stable coins. Um, Colin, I know you have pretty strong views on them. Uh, They're shit. Yeah. <laughs> should
1: we should we say any more on this one? I mean, like, I mean, uh, look if you're if you're a sixteen z, and I'm glad you said it the right way, um, mm. not not this British way. And you can get a discount on something that's supposedly worth a dollar, and you can have a connection with the team where there's kind of a dearth of talent, a quality talent, and you found some. Mm. It's a great deal, and and I'm all for a sixteen z ripping people's faces off and doing this. I'm happy that they did it on a stable coin because you don't have retail investors putting their life savings in, speculating on a dollar being worth a dollar, I hope. (laughs) If people are looking at doing that, please don't. And any of your investments, we'd never give investment advice and always double check what you're trying to put money into. Um, But I think that the stakes are low for retail investors in this particular thing. But a lot of people are going to get burned by the fact that somebody is giving you something worth a dollar
0: to somebody else for a lot less than a dollar. Mm. You're paying. Why might somebody want a stable coin?
2: Well... I don't know. Um,
0: (laughs) But they seem to be all the rage at the moment. So one of the perceived issues with crypto is its volatility. If I can have the thing that moves like crypto, that's global, that's 24-7, then surely uh, that doesn't have volatility. I've I've solved world world hunger, surely.
1: Or you haven't discovered PayPal. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: (laughs) why, why do you need a blockchain? because you're breaking the fucking law. Like, why do you need a stablecoin? Because you don't want volatility while you're trying to do it. Silk Road worked quite well and you pick things from the dollar and you just bought more or less of your particular drug or whatever else you were buying with a different amount of Bitcoin. And that worked relatively well. Um, If you want to take a long-term bet, maybe on the price of heroin and put out a future on it, yeah, a stablecoin makes a lot of sense. If you're really trying to transact and buy retail commerce on it, There's not a lot of people that do that, and they generally fix it in dollars. You make your transaction, it gets hedged. But
0: what if we take it up a level and talk about global financial markets and global capital? Um, So for a long time, the U.S. dollar has been the de facto global currency. But actually, for some use cases, uh, it doesn't transact as easily or as well or as digitally. So um, kicking off a dollar payment usually means kicking out a message to Swift or talking to a network like Visa. They They work, but they have their quirks and their foibles. If I could have something where the payment is baked into the smart contract language and I have a whole bunch of payments that can move back and forth. Didn't Monzo do that? I don't know that they have. I don't know Monzo have built, they, they can do peer-to-peer payments between people who are on Monzo or that use faster payments, but I can't pay somebody at the other side of the world with a stable value when it moves. Okay.
1: I live in Europe. I don't want a digital dollar. I would rather have a digital euro. Right, this
0: is is assuming that we're pegging to a digital dollar rather than something that is stable that is dollar. No,
1: Like, I tried to push my Malawian kwacha. Nobody wanted that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, everybody's, I guess, going for the dollar, as you say. It's global trade. But the question is, like, what are people using them for right now? It's decentralized exchanges.
2: But I I thought the challenge with this particular deal. Um, actually I didn't attach any relevance to the stable coin at all it was more about them uh, raising 15 million issuing these tokens um, and then selling a huge share of tokens to one particular investor without putting it to a vote to their community at all well so that's interesting
0: they broke their own governance rules in yeah. order to do this yeah uh, which, I, mean, which makes that, you beg- I think
2: is the Bigger the immutable issue here. smart contract
0: ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so it, it begs a cre- it creates a credibility question when you set up a, a bunch of governance rules that you then don't follow yourself because A16Z yeah. came along with a buttload of cash.
2: And the fifteen million that they raised was supposed to be for you know operating costs for three years. Fifteen million for three years. Maybe hey, they have hey, that's Cheap
0: and ICO land.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe whilst we're talking about FOMO then, a story from Cointelegraph. Um, from adoption to FOMO, apparently the reasons behind Ripple's Leap, if, unless you've been sleeping under a rock, you might have seen that the price of XRP has uh, shot up by nearly 3x. Um, and uh, there's a quote here from Brad Garlinghouse in Cointelegraph. Um he said, we were, from the beginning, really looking at how we work with governments, how we work with banks. And I think some in the crypto community have been very much, how do we destroy government and how do we circumvent banks? Um, there's rumors um, that on the back of this that something, something like 40 banks were about to adopt XRP's mm-hmm. uh, X Current product, or mm-hmm. is it XRapid? Uh, yeah, XRapid. X X Rapid. I always get those two mixed up. Uh, and uh, that does use XRP, unlike Mm -hmm. uh, XCurrent that does not use XRP. Mm -hmm. And so there was always some confusion. If most of the banks are using the thing that doesn't use XRP, then does XRP have any value? Well, now they're saying, uh, now there is a rumor that no spokesperson will substantiate that roughly 40 banks will be using, uh, or 40 institutions will be using XRP at the end of the month. And that has spiked the price.
2: Well, interestingly, the price has fallen again so as of yesterday, that big gain that they had, the price has slumped 15% in the last 24 hours. Uh, So the peak, my notes say, were uh, 66 cents last Friday. Um, And today it's 46 cents. That is attributed in the market uh, to investors taking their profits from the spike because it had been so low for so long. That the you know diehard XRP army said, "Oh shit! Well, I'm gonna get out while the getting's good." I, I
0: saw lots of tweets that really deeply saddened me, um, where a lot of people were saying, "Great, it's 2017 all over again. Oh, the action's back," and you know it's kind of moved from uh, being action on Binance and some of those exchanges to being uh, really leveraged longs and short positions on mm-hmm. Bitrex, um, and then you're kind of making the massive gains there. But this, something smells rotten here, Colin.
1: I, I, I read on a chat that uh, with a couple of people working in the industry this morning that they were talking about speculation around it being listed on Coinbase because I don't know if you followed the Coinbase has put out this like Google uh, form for anybody to list their coins on it. Sure, and, and maybe XRP will get in. It spiked on a potential rumor that they're going to into Coinbase. Part of the, the sell down with Jed McCaleb. I think the fact is nobody knows. Uh, best of luck to, to Ripple and XRP and, and the XRP Army. Don't shout really want out to XRP go and Army. Shout out to, to <laughs> XRP Army.
0: All righty. Before we move on, today's episode of Blockchain Insider is brought to you by R3. Colin, you've heard of those guys? I've heard of them once or twice. Uh, David Rutter is actually speaking on stage today. So if you want to find out what he's doing with HSBC, I think he's speaking behind this live audience in about a half an hour. So do check him out. And they built something called Corda. Uh, Corda um, offers privacy, interoperability, integration, and other words that begin with I. And it includes those mission critical features that every complex business needs, including the world's only blockchain application firewall which i keep wanting to call bap but then it just makes me hungry um but we did speak to uh richard brown and mike hearn a couple of episodes ago on blockchain insider about what that is so so do check that out or go to r3 to find out more all right next story well it's not really a story it's it's your blog post colin uh you became a crypto quadrillionaire without writing a line of code i
1: exactly i am currently worth 3.276 3.276 quadrillion dollars according to this decentralized exchange token yep. jar which is basically the bastion of things
0: okay tell the story what did you do all
1: right so uh it all started back at a conference last april in seoul uh the economy conference i showed up early with a bunch of people that were speaking there we all had a bit too much beer and a bit too much pizza and decided hey you know don't be really funny because we have enough people around the table here we can launch our own really stupid token this was back in the in the days of when stupid tokens were coming out left, right, and center. Early 2018 was a great time. So we came up with this really stupid idea, and we called it Pitch Token. And the idea of Pitch Token was, I'm going to raise ICO money. You come pitch to me as a VC, and I will give you Pitch Token to invest in your idea. Obviously, this is fantastic because I win, win, win. We joked about it. We all announced ourselves at this big conference in Korea about it. And then I had the bright idea to Google it and found out that Pitch Token exists. <laughs> so so Tim Swanson was there. He decided to fork it. We became Pitch Token Classic. Some people have been joking about things lately. I decided I'm actually going to launch Pitch Token Classic or PTK. So last Friday, I, I had time on my hands. So I decided to go to the token factory, which is a cool little thing. You fill out a form. And uh, boom, I had 15 trillion tokens. And I put them on a decentralized exchange and I bought them up to a thousand Ether per token, which makes me a a quadrillionaire. And I think I'm the richest person on the planet because.
0: In so doing, uh, you proved a bit of a point that this market might be quite easy to move market cap, and market cap may not be what it seems. I think the New York AG said that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a fun point do check out Colin's blog post on Medium uh, just look for Colin Platt on Medium
1: and if you'd like a trillion dollars I can give you some of that too
0: <laughs> you heard it here first if you'd like a trillion dollars this guy's got, yeah, got no
1: airdrops space drops
0: uh, <laughs> and mic drops clearly alright uh, next one uh, comes from bitcoincore.org Bitcoin bugged out um, I don't know if anybody saw the CVE 2018 17144 bug no Does anybody want to talk us through this one?
2: Wow. (laughs) So basically, there was a patch to another existing problem in the Bitcoin core code um, and the patch created a bug and the bug sat there latent for about two years, undetected, unnoticed, and then someone found the bug and they decided that they were just going to fix it really quietly and not say anything until it was fixed. So the bug essentially would have allowed whomever to uh, artificially inflate. It was an inflation bug. Um, So there's only
0: 21 million Bitcoin unless that bug was exploited.
2: Correct. And it would have kind of happened on a side chain potentially. So you wouldn't even have known. It would have devalued the 21 million Bitcoin that are meant to be in the market. And then there is some speculation around uh, was the bug inserted intentionally? What better way to devalue the public interest and, and, and uh, commitment to Bitcoin than to devalue it, and then I read a Medium post this weekend that I thought was really interesting, talking about how you know the 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 difference in ideology between cash and core Um, and one of the guys that was responsible for finding the bug was actually a developer for both and Mm. said that uh, the only thing that really saved Bitcoin Core this weekend was the diversity between revisions and someone actually noticing that there was a problem in the first place Um, and that the client diversity has been criticized by Bitcoin cash community but that actually this shows its advantages.
0: There's an interesting sub-story from Coindesk, and apparently in the wake of that major failure, the actual code review process for Bitcoin Core is coming under scrutiny as well. Uh, Running things at scale as a public um, permissionless blockchain isn't easy, Colin. Mm. Yeah,
1: and and I think this just points out again, like, how much is the stuff worth? We haven't figured out all the kinks and all the bugs, and we haven't figured out the process. It's an experimental technology, and if you're putting your life savings into it, be prepared to lose it. Mm. Like there is a good chance you will lose all your money. That's the nature of blockchain in 2018. That's the nature of blockchain since twenty
0: it, It's without question the Wild West. And I think it's interesting that we have a market in which people are largely locked out of uh, new tech investments. You couldn't get Facebook really, really early. But then Facebook was really, really risky when it was really, really early. So the, there's always the... the, the kind but of what, what was there.
1: the risk back then? You, you lost a couple of pictures and like, friends. And now we're talking about Physical I meant if money. you'd
0: invested yeah. in Facebook oh, yeah, stock sure. early yeah. on. Um, and that's the reason VCs do what they do. But there's also the financial inclusion question of, well, do we miss out on all of the growth and do institutions capitalize on all of the growth? And, um, and, and I think that fairness question is something that has driven a lot of interest in what's happening in the crypto space that financial services has been slow to really capitalize on. And really, when I look at um, people who work in financial institutions, I don't see evil people. I see neighbors, friends, colleagues, I see humans. And they want to do the right thing, but they're hampered by legacy systems and processes and cost. So they can't necessarily offer things that are new. Uh, and maybe there's a, there's a future here. Um, relying on um, kind of open permissionless blockchains is always going to have trade-offs. All righty. Uh, some stories we didn't have time to cover this week. Um, one from Coindesk, the RBS blockchain team has jumped ship to build new startup using R3's Corda Um, we'll have an interview with the team behind this live from uh, blockchain live in a new show coming up very very soon apparently there's a link here Uber runs on a blockchain Um, it's actually a thought piece from from Finextra Uber doesn't run on a blockchain to the best of my knowledge Um, but it was a really interesting concept what would be the case if there was a decentralized Uber? What would that press release look like? And I think it's an interesting uh, piece to look at. The company Blockchain have taken a fraudulent ICO to court. And this is, do you know also when you go into a supermarket blockchain. and you go to the <laughs> cereal aisle and you've kind of got like the mainstream Kellogg cereal and then you've got the supermarket ripoff? Somebody had basically done that to Blockchain, right? <laughs> it's
1: a French company.
0: And it was a French company as well. This is why you can't trust Colin Platt. Um <laughs> That and he's a quadrillionaire. Um, <laughs> That's why you can trust me. Uh, so URP and Consensus combine their efforts through Ethereum technology to engage the consumer. And, of course, Liverpool Football Club partnered with a blockchain-based trading app, TigerWit. So um, football on a blockchain is the future. It seems like everybody's why? sponsoring football. Why? Why? I, I don't get this. So um, there's a. it seems to be that... People who watch a lot of football might also be punters who like to gamble, mm-hmm. which are the crypto audience yep. right now.
1: Well, which makes sense. Didn't like um, Perry St. Germain launch an ICO or something so you could trade that? Like, I love the idea of gambling. Gaming
2: gaming, mm-hmm. and gambling and crypto.
0: Already, and it's time for our segment, Tweet of the Week.
2: Tweet, tweet, tweet,
0: tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Widder of the week this week comes from a lady named Katie Martin on Twitter. Um, Colin, you chose this one. What's this one about? <laughs> so Katie Mark- Martin is hilarious. She works for FT. She
1: found this thing, which was great, and the little advertisements you get at the bottom of all these awful websites for something that advertised <laughs> making money out of, like, mining with your cat, which I thought was awesome.
0: So you can make money out of mining with your cat. Does your cat have a little hat? Do they have a shovel? Like, how does your cat do mining? It they looks have some kind like of little, a little badge. Yeah, diamond badge oh. thing. A kid, so this is a crypto kitty doing mining Ah, a real kitty uh, uh, so it's a real kitty crypto, doing crypto wow it's, it's called the XYO
1: network um before the show I tried to sign up because I thought it would be hilarious to get one of these things and put it on my daughter <laughs> and let her run around um then I realized that would be a horrible idea because it would all go on the blockchain. You the location of your child on a blockchain. I, it could be useful, but I'd ideally not like to have that on a blockchain. But it could be funny to put it on a bus or somebody else's car as a joke.
0: Indeed. Oh, the- yeah,
2: that sounds like a great idea. I'm sure your wife's going to love that
0: so that was tweet of the week and uh we are 11fs Uh, we're a challenger consultancy working to help shape the next generation of financial services if you want to find out more about us you can go to 11fs.com uh we help build propositions for organizations large and small if you liked this podcast remember um if you're listening to hit subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review and you can find us on itunes or your favorite podcast client um where can people find out more about you, Tina?
2: On Twitter at Tina Taylor or at coinfloor.com.
0: Thank you, Tina. And Colin? Uh, you can just find me, just Google
1: quadrillionaire. I think I'm the first one that comes up. <laughs> be a favorite, Colin. <laughs> the Forbes Rich List is another place you can find <laughs> me. That'd be awesome. I made it there. And, and the top of coin market cap. Um, you can also find me at Colin G Platt on Twitter.
0: Colin G Platt, bring in the G sauce as always.
1: And before we sign off, really interesting interview that we recorded earlier today with the CEO, Brendan Bloomer, and CTO, Dan Larimer, of Block One. Uh, definitely have a listen to this. I learned a lot, and I hope that you guys enjoy it too. And we're back. So, this is Blockchain Insider at Blockchain Live. I'm here with the excellent C suite from Block One, Mr. Brendan Bloomer, and Mr. Dan Larimer.
3: Thanks for having us. Thanks Hello. for coming on.
1: Guys, uh, real quick, can I just, uh, Brendan, uh, Dan, get you to introduce yourself? that don't know you. I know that you're widely known, very popular project with block one with EOS or EOS. We're still decentralizing the name on it, but if you could tell us a, a bit about who you are, what you guys do, and a bit about what your projects are.
3: Sure. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Brennan Bloomer. Um, I've been a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist for the better half of the last 15 years. I um, initially came out to Hong Kong in about 2005, uh, selling virtual assets instead of big online video games. So I've been in the digital asset space for a long time. Um, went on to build collaborative data sharing ecosystems for the property market uh, in Asia Pacific, uh, and then started getting into blockchain about three years ago when I Started to understand the implications of mass scalable secure data transfer and how blockchain could facilitate that. Uh, I did some research in terms of the different protocols and technologies out there and quickly found myself uh, looking at delegated proof of stake as the only way to really scale up um, uh, the industry from where we are at. And that's uh, kind of how I came across Dan and his previous projects. And so maybe I'll let
4: Dan introduce himself. My name is Dan Larimer, I'm the CTO of Block One. Uh, I joined Block One to launch the EOS project, which is a smart contract platform, really designed to solve the scalability uh, and usability issues around blockchain technology. Uh, EOS.IO is the third-generation blockchain technology I've done. My two prior projects, Steam and BitShares, uh, which are a decentralized exchange and the uh, most used blockchain social media platform out there, uh, Steam. It. Uh, those really taught me a lot about how to build scalable solutions. And so then. I joined Brendan to create what's going to, and is becoming the most used blockchain architecture out there.
1: And uh, we were talking about this just before we started the show, I mean, the the figures are amazing. You guys launched, uh, formally launched your own blockchain just a few months ago. In June, yes. In June. And we're recording this, it's in late September. So that's really quick that you guys, I saw some stats and I don't have them in front of me, but I saw some stats from, I believe it was uh, Radar talking about Ethereum dApps and about EOS apps. And you guys actually, at one point uh, over the last week or so, had more daily active users using EOS-based dApps. And being that it's only a few months old, like in in the real world, that's impressive.
4: (laughs) Well, here at Blockchain Live, we've seen huge examples of uh, applications built on EOS that just aren't possible on any other platform. The speed, the low latency, the user-friendly names have all uh, work together to make products that people can actually use uh, and they actually have fun with without transaction fees and everything else. So not only is it the, uh, the most used by the most people, but we have the most transactions per day. Uh, I think we've peaked at over uh, 4,000 transactions per second. Uh, and if you go to Blocktivity.info, uh, EOS, BitShares, and Steam are the one, two, and three uh, blockchains out there all processing Uh, over 1.5 million transactions per day. And that's because there was always really a big gap between what we wanted to do
3: with blockchain and what the underlying platforms were capable of. There was basically three things that needed to be solved, and Dan was hitting on them. One of them was speed, yep. and EOS is able to put something in irreversibly on the blockchain in about one second. Um, and if you, if you think of the speed of light data across the world and back at 250 milliseconds, um, you're in, in two blocks to reach finality. That's you know, really as fast as it's going to get unless you can fundamentally change the speed at which uh, we transmit data. Um, So so, uh, EOS is operating at, at very, very high speeds. Um, it's extremely scalable in the sense that single-threaded throughput, now we're at five to 10,000 transactions per second on a public implementation of the blockchain. Um, and it's fundamentally built to be asynchronous. So as we uh, continue to roll out next generations of the software, people are going to be able to run multiple blockchains that will be able to speak to each other. And then there's cost. Um, and by switching from the proof-of-work to proof of stake consensus mechanisms, we're able to take costs of potentially $10, $20, $30 per transaction when you start looking at the inflation of these proof-of-work networks down to nominal, sub-one-second transaction costs. Um, and all of those things really needed to be solved before you could start building any type of scalable or practical implementations of applications. So it's not all too surprising that in very short order, EOS has become the most usable bloc- used blockchain in the world.
1: And I think that's crazy. But I, that's that thing you brought up a minute ago that's kind of central to this, this delegated purpose stake. Can you give us kind of a layman's explanation? What is delegated proof of stake compared to other things?
4: Well, the idea is that the token holders elect uh, a number of people to take turns producing blocks. Block production is kind of like a mining pool. So whereas on EOS, you've got 21 block producers, each having an equal opportunity to produce blocks. And you need a collusion of 17 of them in order to create a, a fake chain. But on something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, where it's proof of work, You only need two or three mining pools to collude to create forks Um, and all we really did is formalize the relationship between the token holders and the people who are producing blocks so that you don't have difference in control uh, between the two. So uh, it allows us to make things faster. We get guarantees um, that a block actually is irreversible whereas on something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, blocks are never final. Someone could always come along later with doing enough proof-of-work and change the history. Right. Um, so that's that's the idea is that uh, the token holders are in control of what happens. You're either voting with tokens or you're voting with hash power.
1: This voting with hash power, if we kind of look at the proof-of-work system, is based on the idea of I burn a lot of electricity and spend a lot of dollars or yen or whatever it is burning electricity to secure a blockchain. And what you guys have done is flip that on its head and said, well, you have a token that's worth money. And if you do something wrong, uh, just really briefly, you lose that money. Is that kind of a good way to explain that?
4: Well, it really boils down to the people who own the tokens have the most to lose. Yeah. If the network fails, or and the, collectively, they should be making the decision together. It simply aligns
3: the beneficiaries of the network with the decision making of the network. All blockchains are voting machines, and uh, when you have a, a one party voting on behalf of another, um, then you have misaligned interests. So it's really just about st- restoring that alignment um, so that you, uh, have, have, you're you protected for more, um, more types of attacks or at least better incentivized to prevent them. Okay. So EOS, the cryptocurrency,
1: obviously is a decentralized network. It's a, like Bitcoin or like Ethereum. And then there's Block One, the company that you guys represent. Can you talk to us a bit about what Block One the company does?
3: So Block One is a publisher of, obviously, open source software. Um, and so we spent the last year laying, obviously, this foundation for people to build decentralized applications. Um, part of the strategy of the token sale itself was to preserve value that would have been wasted or gone to burning electricity, and then re- divert that back to the developers that are really leading the innovation of the space. And so you see things like the EOSBC program, where we've already put a billion dollars of capital and disseminated that to the existing investment leaders in the space. And from here, um, we're going to also be building on that platform ourselves. And in the next couple of months, you're going to start to hear some of those applications that we're releasing. As we build and release applications built on the technology itself, these applications are designed to empower the developers also
4: building on the application, not to compete directly with them. We really believe that blockchain is the future of all multi-user websites, so every business, every bank, every social media company is going to be moving onto the blockchain in the next 10 years. It's going to fundamentally change how cybersecurity threats are handled, and any company that's not moving to a blockchain uh, is potentially legally liable for negligence in securing their users once the technology is there to make it a best practice. So our job is to produce the blockchain technology, the user-facing wallet In the whole security stack so that companies can move their business processes onto the blockchain in a timely manner. And what everyone benefits, so the future, blockchains are going to be ubiquitous, there's going to be millions of blockchains, every company is going to have multiple blockchains, private, public, and or public chains, all communicating with each other. So we're building the infrastructure that's powering the future of the Internet. That's pretty cool. And I love, you
1: know, as a, as a consultant working in the blockchain space, I love the idea that anybody not working with this is, is legally liable in the future. So definitely give us a call yeah. <laughs> and, and that everybody's going to go to this. I, I want to touch on you. You highlighted kind of this interoperability. A lot of people have built EOS and other third, fourth generation blockchains as being competitors of Ethereum. Do you see yourselves as a competitor of Ethereum or Bitcoin or any other existing solution or is it different?
4: We produce open source software, Ethereum is a blockchain. The EOS blockchain is just a community run project. Mm -hmm. We're supporting all EOSIO based chains, whether public or private. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're not really competing in the same space as any individual chain. Our goal is to make sure the blockchain technology then the products that we're building that use blockchain technology our, uh, who our real competitors are.
3: And the truth is is that if developers are serious about building large-scale, scalable applications. It's not like they can use either one of them, and there's a choice. Um, so I don't think that uh, we're directly competing with them, because the things that run on EOS just can't run on Ethereum.
1: And that's a really interesting way to look at it, because it, obviously what we talk about a lot is there's a lot of different technology choices out there. Before we started talking about blockchains, not everybody would use the same type of database or the same type of programming language because some of them are better for certain things. And it's really good, I think, that you guys are highlighting uh, particularly where that... Kind of shifting into what's the future? What are you guys excited about? What are the projects that you go, okay, I want to learn a little bit more about this because I think that that has uh, not been explored enough before.
4: Some of the interesting projects out there that are coming are things like EOS for Next, where they're moving the entire Exchange onto... Uh, a public blockchain, and they're able to do that because of the security, the speed, and the efficiency of our development framework. So the other area where things are uh, interesting is things like Cinecor. They're building their Zimbra email platform and messaging all on a blockchain with secure communication, authentication, and the like. So we really see blockchain being fundamental, transforming every industry from things as old as email to the future of financial exchange.
1: One of the things that's kind of outside of that, we hear a lot about. And I I think you talked about that this morning, Brendan, stable coins. And Dan, I know you worked on stable coins in previous projects. What do you guys think about high level stable coins? Is this something that helps, hurts, doesn't matter long-term or is critical?
4: There's a lot of really interesting stable coin ideas out there. There's pegged assets like Tether and I guess Gemini has got some. Uh, And there's lots of interesting new financial products that can be built on a blockchain with smart contracts. That allow you to use collateralized smart tokens, things like uh, BitUSD on BitShares, but with the, with EOS and things like the Bancor protocol, there's all kinds of new systems that can come out. So I'm really excited to see what the market's doing. I see new things every single day.
1: One of the things that I'd worried about, and I'm curious how EOS, the technology, deals with it, is is a notion of a top-heavy problem, that if I'm pushing more value through a blockchain that is necessarily supported by, you know, proof of work, the miners. It, becomes economically viable to try to destroy that blockchain to achieve that value and i like to kind of explain that in layman's terms to say there was a car sitting out front theoretically it cost me a thousand pounds to break and steal that car if there was a hundred thousand pounds sitting in a briefcase that changes the equation i don't need to steal the car i can steal that and that's that's what i worry about with some of these stable coins is that something that you worry about in general with stable coins and is that something that eos considers this top heavy issue
3: I think you also need to look at how a blockchain could recover from an event like that, um, and what the true damage would be uh, if the you know the the remaining pe- the good actors were
4: to you know fork away and restore a, an earlier state of the blockchain. But Dan can talk a little further. There's another aspect of this, which is identified verified accounts on a blockchain no. with identity tied to a blockchain and the value. Like if you could restrict your account to only allow transfers to other identified accounts, then who's the thief going to steal it from? They're going to transfer it out of your car into their car. You know exactly who they are. You can hold the real-life person accountable. Mm-hmm. The problem we have you know, with the anonymous nature of a lot of blockchain technology, when you're hacked, you don't know who to hold accountable. Yeah. And uh, But with the software we're producing, our, our upcoming iOS app, it's, it's really going to give everyone a hardware wallet in their pocket and It's going to be a lot harder to break into and steal private keys. Uh, And with time delays and other features we have in our protocol, it's even harder to hack contracts or take advantage of bugs. The winner of our hackathon created a reputation system so you can kind of identify people who are potential hackers and block them from interacting with your contract. Those types of solutions are really going to help secure this at at a fundamental level. And there's a
1: lot of really interesting implications that come out of that as well, as soon as you start to have identity interoperating with these systems. Do you find that a lot of bigger institutions, or possibly governments, are latching into that idea, or is that something that's still kind of foreign to them?
4: There are a lot of applications enabled by identity on a blockchain. It prevents money laundering. It prevents a lot of fraud and theft. It also allows regulatory compliance. You know, like I said earlier, all multi-user systems, whether you're a bank or a government, they're going to need to be on the blockchain in the next 10 years. Uh, so identity will be on the blockchain. Uh, and we'll have all the benefits of uh, current system, both in terms of privacy, in terms of intermediaries and escrow, but we also uh, have the benefits of blockchain in terms of accountability, anti-fraud, um, eliminating the threat of inside jobs and things like that. I think uh,
3: a lot of people can underestimate the impact of unique identity, and we look at it from kind of a government ID perspective and how that can, uh, you know, uh, make it easy to open bank accounts and transfer ID from one project to another. But really, just establishing unique identity or unique users in the first place is really the... The, the massive use case in the sense that when you have a social network or Reddit, Twitter, anything that can rely on unique identities, not only can you restore the integrity and accountability of the entire platform, but you can truly build a decentralized version that can autonomously reward, assess and reward value for all the users that are, that are operating on it. And until we have that identity layer, some of those things remain a little bit more theoretical than practically implementable.
4: You can also restore accountability to government elections and things like that. So
3: well, that's that's a pretty cool idea I think
1: especially right now it's very very topical.
4: Yes. Looking outside of the the EOS
1: and I guess the other projects Steemit and and BitShares ecosystem what are some of the things you guys see that you go well wow, that's actually quite cool in the in the wider blockchain world? Maybe ones that you want to come join EOS that haven't started working in
4: <laughs> The coolest apps are being built on EOS right now. So <laughs> great great answer. <laughs> it's true. I mean
3: um, there's a lot of interesting concepts that are there. I think, pe- think there's a big gap between people knowing what the problem is they need to solve and having the teams and expertise to actually solve those problems. Um, right now, we're at a very early stage of decentralized governance. And so everything sort of turns into a presidential election. Um, and I think that as we start to move down the path of having more complex layers of machine learning, you know, tapping into a million different token holders and asking the right people the right questions at the right time, you're going to start to see extraordinary evolutions of decentralized networks evolve um, that can just operate on a level that we can't do right now.
1: How about things like ICOs? Are you seeing many of those on EOS? Is that something you'd expect to see more of or is it something not necessarily
4: compatible? People do ICOs that, uh, using the EOS token even before the EOS network was live. Yeah. But um, there's really a new model. People are creating, uh, whether they're utility tokens, or they're building their app first, and yeah. they're, they're creating things that have value, that are traded non-fungible tokens, and other monetization strategies other than ICOs. And I think that's that's the future.
3: And ICOs are you know it's such a broad definition that lumps so many very different things together so it's hard i mean you're going to see icos on everything but i think that the way that they're um the way that they're being conducted you're going to see uh, people moving from more of tra- traditional simple icos um uh, to all different types of creative solutions
1: one last question before we take off if you could tell the community that's listening you know why they should come to you that haven't necessarily reached out to you before, um, how they can get a hold of you. What are some of the things that you'd love to hear more about that you haven't heard yet?
3: I think that if you're if you're if you're really serious about implementing your ideas in a way that people can actually you know large numbers of people can use them, take a look at our technology and compare it to what else is out there. Because I think that 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 developers that are uh, you know are sitting on a lot of experience will realize that this is the only way to actually de- deliver something that's scalable today um, and and high high performing. So just take a look at our dev tools, take a look at our blockchain. I think that um, it speaks for itself, Dan. Yeah,
4: yeah you can. Uh Learn more about our software at EOS.io and more about our company at Block.One. Uh, you really can build things on uh, EOS.io that you can't build on any other blockchain, so it's the best place to start. Excellent. And
3: how, could, how do people follow you, Twitter, elsewise? You can look us up by our names. I'm just at Brendan Bloomer. Um, and I'm ByteMaster7 on Twitter.
1: Excellent. Great. Thank, thank, thank you very you. much, guys.
3: Thank you. A lot. Well, perfect. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Colin. And you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or find me at 11FS.com or in your favorite podcast client every week. Uh, Thank you very much and uh, take care.